happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 251 for March 9th, 2022. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am doing well, and I am joining you from Oklahoma City, where I am the Technology Integration and Innovation Specialist at the Cassidy School, but soon to be the Innovation and Computing Teacher at Providence Day School in Charlotte, North Carolina, effective August 2022. So that happened on mon- on Monday this week. and I'm Congratulations, Dr. Ferrer. Really That's excited excellent news. about that. Yeah, it is. It is. So North Carolina has been the dream of my wife and and also of me for many months now. And so the dream, it looks like the dream is coming true. So and I'm wearing my tie because we had a special recognition ceremony tonight for all the area high school students appointed by our uh, fifth district representative, Representative Stephanie Bice. So shout out to, to Representative Bice and her team and all of the wonderful uh, high achieving and patriotic young men and women who are nominated for our service academy, some of whom have received appointments and some like my daughter are still waiting. <clears throat> but anyway, it was kind of cool to get to do a face to face event because months ago, I don't think we knew whether we would be able to do that. And we're hoping that maybe graduation and all that stuff might be somewhat close to normal this year, but time will tell. It's only about two and a half months away and that's a little hard to believe. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's, and that's your last kiddo. Um, the nest will be empty. That's right. So the nest will be empty and, uh, mama and papa bird will, will fly to another state. So it's going to be good. changes. <laughs> that's right. With golden retrievers in tow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, um, as much as I think we'd love to both talk about our families for the next hour, I believe we have another task at hand. Uh, the Edtech Situation Room is a once-a-week podcast where we take a look at the headlines from across the techosphere and kind of shoot them through the education prism. Helps provide some insight, maybe some interesting conversation about where technology is and where it's going in K-12 classrooms. And tonight, we have topics including Microsoft. Uh, we will definitely be talking about the new Apple stuff, so I'm sure that those that have listened to us in the past will know that we really can't resist um, some uh, smart home IoT stuff. There's lots of interesting Google news, some social media news, some tech correction information. And then we'll also check in on the war in Eastern Europe in the Ukraine. And then we'll end tonight with our Geeks of the Week. Uh, Dr. Fryer, I guess probably the, the, the way to put this question is do we want to talk about the Apple stuff now or do we want to do a couple of topics before we jump into the new Apple stuff? You know, you can convince me either way, Dr. Neifer. So I think... I think we probably should just jump into it. I mean, we have an Apple event. We got we we need to talk Apple. So, I've only uh scanned a little bit. You thanks to your diligence, we're well covered uh in the Apple front. So, I think I will defer to you, sir, to okay. decide where we begin. Well, uh no time like the present. Let's jump in on the Apple news. Uh I am going off of Mashable's article from yesterday that talks about everything announced at the Apple 2022 peak performance event. And um, I guess we'll go through all of them um, to see if this is, provides any excitement. Let's start with probably the one I think is the uh, uh, most sleepy of the announcements. Um, iPhone 13 available in a new green color. Um, I don't really get the new color announcements, right? Because my guess is, is that anyone that really wanted an iPhone 13 probably purchased it by now, right? Like really wants one. <laughs> sure, if you're waiting uh uh or you know you can just get around to it now or waiting for carrier subsidy or whatever that looks like you agree with my interesting option to you but i've always found it kind of curious when they announce a new color because they're you know they're six months away from a new iphone 14 which i assume will come out um later this year in in the mid to early fall so wes are you dying to get a dark green iphone 13 no if i was an army guy Maybe, but I'm not. So I am not. You know, I I think I'd mentioned on the show how we were, I was almost drawn in by an AT&T, you know, ploy with, look at this, you can all get new iPhone 13s. And anyway, we did not do that. So 
I guess. I don't know. I'm I, I'm kind of thankful for the colors. I remember way back in, when the original iMac, and it wasn't – the first gen was just blue, but then, you know, it was like the second gen or whatever, they came out with the colors, and Apple's, you know, kind of gone back and forth on that. I'm glad that they do the different colors, but honestly, it's not that big of a deal. And when we buy a used one on Swappa, I'm just like, which one's available at the price we want? So – yeah, we end up with different colors, so it's not. That well, and I will say, I was a little disappointed. I have a blue iPhone 13 Pro, and I did like the kind of mint green that it was before. In fact, I love that color. I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful color, and I was disappointed that color wasn't available to me. But it wasn't gonna, you know, force me to hold off on the update on the phone. So, yeah, I find that to be a a, a bit of a snoozer. Did you go from a from a XR to a 13? An XS to a 13. An yeah. XS. And what did you fu- how? dramatic did you find that jump oh it's 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 really night and day um a vi- like i thought that the iphone xs could have been like if i kept it i wouldn't have like felt any loss but uh the camera is notably better and then i felt it was snappier um although to be honest i really don't utilize many apps where you would notice it um i do think the screen at a higher refresh rate too and i feel like that's noticeable as well yeah by the way, I do need to apologize to everyone for not getting last week's show published. I'm I really not sure had... I understand. Uh-oh. Siri Uh-oh. just answered back to you. That's weird. Siri thought I was talking to her. Um, I uh, And then I did say her name <clears throat> without the board. Hey. Um, anyway, so yes, we'll get those published. And just, you know, some sometimes sometimes the post-production crew around here is a slacking off. And this was one of those weeks. So, all right, what's next? Well, the next one actually may be interested to you, Dr. Fryer. It's the iPhone SE 3, and the iPhone SE has been a um, uh, an interesting development in the world of, of iPhones. Uh, it is both uh, aimed at, a, at obviously, a, a market that's looking for a more inexpensive phone, but also uh, I find it an interesting size comparison, too, because it basically packs the body of an iPhone 13 into an iPhone 8's body. And I know a lot of people that just don't like larger phones, and uh, that's always been kind of a, a, a benefit of the Android environment because there are so many manufacturers that those that like smaller phones can usually find um, a smaller phone to work with, um, although I will note for the record that uh, Android still hasn't come up with a, a, a like a mainstream, much smaller phone. If you want the 4.3-inch phone, for example, which I think is a form factor that some people would actually like and appreciate still, uh, you really can't find one on either platform. But uh, interestingly enough, it's got the A15 Bionic chip, which is Apple's newest chip. Uh, It is a 5G phone, which is super interesting. And um, there was a a slight uh, price bump. Um, It's $429 instead of $399, which was the iPhone uh, SE 2. Um, But for, you know, the phone you're getting out of it, it's really an extraordinary price. And uh, my wife, for example, I think is on an iPhone 8, and we'll have the conversation of whether she wants to update or not. I think she's in year three or four of that, and I'll want to take a look at the battery life, et cetera. But certainly a compelling phone for the price. Um, and I, I will say that uh, Montana doesn't have a, a, a widespread 5G uh, tower saturation, but there's a pretty solid coverage in Missoula, which is where I live, and um, I – 5G is pretty great. Uh, I've I've uh, been able to get uh, on Missoula-based 5G towers 500 megabits down, which is just extraordinary um, uh, speed. And a couple of years ago, it would have seemed impossible. Now I have 400 down at home because that's available via cable internet in in Missoula. But um, you know, 5G uh, on a, a cell phone is is a pretty pretty nice pickup. Um, and Wes, I believe that I look correctly on social media that you, did you trade a phone away to a family member or something? Or are you on an Android yeah. phone right now? <laughs> I was for a day and I, now okay. I'm actually on, um, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm, well, hey, warranties are good because we were able to get, uh, the whole screen replaced on, on my daughter's, I think if this is an XS. Um, so anyways, I, I've, this, she's, she has my <clears throat> 11, um, what, my 11, Pro R. Is that right? No, I'm just, my, maybe my brain's not going to work tonight. I have the, I have the 11. What's the, what's the big one? I have the, the big 11. Pro. Oh, the Pro Max. <laughs> the Pro Max. Thank you so much. There's so many words to keep in mind. Um, so I'm, I mean, we might be interested. My wife, um, is actually on the old 
SE, whatever, the SE2. Uh, she likes the home button. And in fact, you know, sometimes we hand her a phone where she's like, how do I do this? And it really, I, I have found it not too, not too challenging to adjust to the, the zero home button, but it is an extraordinary value. The, the latest chip. Um, I listened to a Mac insider, part of the Mac insider podcast called space javelin. Uh, and they have an event rundown of the Mac event today. I didn't get through the whole thing, but one small thing to note is that the 5g coverage on the new SE, I guess, doesn't cover the nanometer, millimeters, whatever. The, there's a range, but they were saying, like, unless you're living in New York and you're outside, you know, you're not going to notice it. Um, you know, the majority of the 5G coverage that's present in the country today is going to is going to be handled by it. So I think it's great. It's really good for Apple to have this, you know, lower cost device. Um, again, I'll say this. We say it every time these new phones come out. Um you can really do well with uh, with a used device that's not, you know, yeah. just the absolute latest and greatest. Um, but it's pretty phenomenal that you can get that, you know, best chip in in this quote unquote budget phone. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Well, it's it's, it's interesting with with the upgrade paths. Uh, dot my daughter, or middle daughter, uh, you know, younger members of the family are more like, "Ooh, I really need that new camera, Dad. I really, you know, I want that, you know, uh, extra capability so we'll have to see but honestly i'm um i'm i've been very pleased with this my my difficulty with this is it i'm used to 100 or actually 256 gig and this is down to 64 and it's like woo, i can't export my movie and stuff like that because i do movies i cook you know uh and do movies sometimes so <laughs> i do that on my phone and that's the main thing that i'm missing but glad to see apple continuing to uh, update in that space. And it's also just awesome to be like, no, you're not going to compromise on the processor. You're getting the latest thing. Yep. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. The next thing, uh, which I will admit I find, uh, uh, tempting. This is the iPad air five. A couple things about the iPad air five that are interesting. First, uh, it moves towards the M one chip, which is the same chip in the iPad pro, but uh, it's really half the price of, of the iPad Pro. And there's a lot of ways in which this is a really competitive tablet, um, despite its um, uh, despite its price. And so uh, it's it has a, a, a better wide uh, angle camera. Um, it has 5G compatibility, which I think is interesting if you buy the, the one with a, a cellular chip in it. And then also it has a USB-C port, which is different than um, the transfer uh, via the lightning port. And it also has a couple of, of new colors available, including Starlight, which is kind of a mix between a gold and gray um, and a new pastel blue, which is also pretty interesting. Um, I've read a lot of coverage about this and I'll admit of all the things that, that were offered uh, in yesterday's uh, uh, keynote address. This is the one I'm most tempted by. I found myself uh, kind of become more of an iPad guy. Um, uh, about a year ago, I updated, uh, well, I sold, I had an iPad Air 2, which uh, was uh, great, but not getting updates anymore. And I managed to sell that for like 150 bucks too. Um, and then I bought this, uh, an iPad Air 3, I think it is. And I'll need to go look to see what the amount of money that, that we're looking at here. Um, I'm, I'm 99% sure that I pay like, it wasn't it wasn't too terribly expensive. Um, uh, I was just going to look on Swappa to see it, you know, what that would look like for me to update that. It's for, we're probably talking about. Um, I could probably sell it for I would say maybe three or four hundred bucks, but I, I am pretty tempted by this because it has that M1 chip in it, and my guess is is that. Um, this is going to be a, a good iPad purchase for, for five or six years uh, uh, with that M1 chip in there. But um, uh, super interesting. I like the current industrial design of, of the iPad Air. It kind of has that, uh, it's got the rounded edges, but the kind of boxy feel to it, which I, I like that industrial design. And I would also be, I'm not really sure if I could pull it off as a laptop replacement. I do really like the keyboards that are available. They have that magnetic keyboard from Apple that uh, looks pretty great. And then, of course, it uses the um, the second generation um, Apple Pencil, which magnetically sticks to the side of it, which I also think is very compelling as well. But I don't know. I'd have to see. And I would definitely get, I would want to get the 5G version because I do pay an extra, I think it's $15 a month from T-Mobile to have 
a chip in there and it's another device that I can utilize uh, the uh, Wi-Fi hotspot for. And I just, I like having that, uh, uh, that kind of access, but uh, any temptation there, sir? Yeah. So I've had the older iPad pro for like three years and I love it. I love having a USB C port, which is the same as on my Mac air. And I just have one charger, you know, not that I'm traveling a lot, but I did just, go to Charlotte, North Carolina Monday. It's just kind of cool. I have one charger. It, it takes care of me. However, and well, I had some other things because I had my watch and I had my phone too, but uh, it's nice to be able to, to charge iPad and computer on the same thing. Um, I will say they had USB-C heart ports right in the, the seats of, of the American Airlines plane that I, that I flew in. And I was thinking about that, like, Oh, not USB-C are we? Uh, so anyway, it's interesting when you see those kinds of investments, you're like, okay, that that may not be the standard for, for everywhere. I wonder what they're going to do with the iPad Pro line is basically what you've just described. It sounds like an iPad Pro, but I'll totally agree with the M processor, just a phenomenal chip. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. We're going to transition, you know, between uh, between schools and things like that. And um, we'll just have to see. I think we still are. We've got a, an iPad running around the house. that's you know, still actually ours. Our school actually allowed teachers to buy um, MacBooks when when this different refresh happened. I don't know if there'll be an opportunity to to be able to do any purchasing, but it's it's likely that we may need to purchase some Apple gear this summer. So glad to see this refresh. And I'm not yet being tempted as far as the 5G stuff, but um, you know it's definitely awesome. I think to have USB-C charging and the price of those chargers too is is another thing that's great, right? Um, because I I haven't run into compatibility issues. I can charge my my school Chromebook, my iPad, my Mac Air. It's like and it's like a, I think it's six, a 65 watt USB-C uh, charger, and and those things are like less than 15 bucks on Amazon if you need to get another one. So yeah. Absolutely. But, and this is interesting though. Uh, my other daughter has taken over my iPad, uh, for the last few weeks because she's doing a creative writing project and she's been doing all of the drawing freehand with the Apple Pencil 2, as you say, is awesome because of, you know, being able to just stick to the edge of the iPad and just the, fl- the fluidity of it, it. It's just fantastic. It's actually gotten me to read my Kindle a little bit more, um, which I just hadn't found myself doing much of. Um, the iPad, it is distracting. I mean, and I know it's just all about discipline, but I'm, I don't know. It's kind of nice to just have that Kindle that you're just going to read and that's it. But anyway, I'm sure when she's done with her book and she gives me her iPad back, I'll just be back, back in the saddle with the iPad. But, it, but I certainly don't want to curl up with my laptop at night, you know, to read uh, in the same way that you can with the iPad. So I'm with you that the iPad is a fantastic device, and it's certainly something that I've, I find myself spending a, a great deal of time, you know, utilizing, mainly consuming, um, but, you know, every once in a while doing some other things, too. So good upgrade for Apple. But what will the iPad Pro be now that basically this looks like an iPad Pro? I don't know. Yeah, totally. And in fact, I thought the same thing uh, when I saw that. And then, um, you know, Mashable did it, so I guess we can blame them. But burying kind of the lead here, there was two really uh, uh, kind of headline products out of the, the Speed event yesterday. The first one is the Mac Studio, and it is uh, Apple's new desktop computer. And it's it, it looks like, I mean, the best way to describe it, I think, is that it's a um, Mac Mini... A professional Mac Mini uh, is the way I would I would describe it, and um, it's a, a, a device that um, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, is a smaller form factor. It's kind of a, a it looks like it's about maybe double the size of a um, a, a, a Mac Mini, um, and it's got really pro level. Um, uh, uh, I was going to use the word statistics, pro level uh, um, uh, speed uh, innards and metrics. uh, Excuse me. Oh, I was going to say metrics, but you're talking about the guts, though. The guts yeah. Um, and so as an example of this, um, there, there's two of them available. One of them is 
the kind of the baseline uh, Mac Studio, um, and by the way, that that aimed at professionals. That's 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 who who these are aimed at. That one has an M1 Max chip, uh, uh, which the the lower end version has a 10 core CPU, 24 core GPU, and the 16 core neural engine. And then there's also an ultra uh, version, which the base chip is uh, a 20 core CPU, 48 core GPU, and a 32 uh, core neural engine. And the base model of the max version starts at $2,000. The uh, base model of the ultra version starts at $4,000. You can actually uh, configure these up to about $8,000 if you pick all the maximum statistics. And to give you kind of example that the, the base model has 32 gigs of RAM up to 64. The uh, upper model has 64 gigs up to 128 and uh, gigs of RAM. And, um, uh, you can also get up to eight gigs. I'm sorry, eight terabytes of storage um, on that uh, piece, along with a, a faster chip, if you wish. And um, I have seen a lot of of, of media about uh, the good folks at Apple have spent a lot of time. Um, and I've not. Uh, I've seen just clips of, of of the event yesterday. I'll watch the whole thing when I get some time this weekend. And uh, they they made a, a lot of a big deal about the N1 chip. And and Apple's been taking a little bit on the chin lately because some people feel like they're hyping up the speed differences between the M1 chips and the uh, uh, competitors on the Intel and even the. Uh, um, other ARM-based processors that are, are being utilized. But uh, basically, uh, a lot of people describe this M1 Max chip, uh, which is the, the base model, as two M1 chips kind of rolled into one. So it should have a pretty serious performance bump. And obviously, we'll know a lot more when uh, uh, actual versions of this machine um, uh, get into people's hands. But uh, uh, four Thunderbolt, four, four, Thunderbolt 4 ports... 10 gigabit Ethernet port, uh, two USB-A ports, an HDMI port, a headphone jack, two more regular USB-C ports, and then also a SD card slot in the front. And it's very much aimed at a power user and or a professional crowd. So I have to say, I've been extremely pleased with my M1 Mac Mini, which I bought for uh, well under $1,000. Um, I waited for a sale on it last year, and it's the M1 with 16 gigs. I don't think, I, I, I want to say that my, my storage is just 256. Um, yeah, that's correct. I, I did not buy up in storage there, figuring I could just get a Thunderbolt drive if I wanted to get more expanded storage there. And I'm using about half of that right now um, on my home computer, what I'm currently on right now with this. But, uh, Wes, I know that, that you tend to be um, more of a laptop person than a de- desktop person, but any temptation for you in the Mac Studio? Well, you know, I was able to pick up a used 27-inch pretty old um iMac um you know but it's like an i5 processor and it's the one that I've used throughout the pandemic and and use on the show every week so it's really since the pandemic that I've become a lover of the fixed you know room room computer because hey I got the the microphone in here and I just sit down and ready to go at at any time um so you know when this thing finally croaks which I don't think that'll be for probably a couple years It'll be a temptation. I think the model you followed with the the mini and your screen and this one too, of not having it as an integrated iMac, but separate, it just makes a heck of a lot of sense because, man, if you get a good monitor today, like imagining that you're going to need to really go like 8K or something, I mean, I just think that's kind of silly. So um, I, I think it's really a wise thing to invest in a great large monitor, high quality monitor. Uh, and then, you know, look at being able to to have another piece of hardware that you can, you know, utilize and then swap out in it when, when it needs to go. So this is this is definitely uh, a temptation, I think, for for schools or for labs. And I'm thinking about businesses and things. There is a lot of appeal to having everything all together right there in that package with the iMac. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's. I said this before on the show, maybe it's been a bit a while, but it's great to see Apple paying attention to these different market niches, you know, and, and the pro users don't represent the lion's share of users out there, right? Most folks are not needing a pro level machine, but it's so great that Apple continues to, you know, make these kind of updates. And I, I would, you know, I'll probably play with one at the Apple store at some point. Uh, But like I said, personally, it'll probably be a while 
Um, I have been an all laptop person for, for a good long while. Um, I don't know if you remember, well, if you were using Macs at the time, but they had at one time they had like a 12 inch, 15 and a 17 inch Mac. And, and, and I actually went for the 12, but then I could go to, that was when I was at, Texas Tech in the College of Education, and I had this honking massive, like I had to have somebody help me, you know, move it monitor um, <laughs> that I would then drive with it. But once those video cards were able to drive, you know, these larger monitors, anyway, that was just kind of how I went. But um, M1's awesome. And then the other thing to mention about this uh, machine is you can upgrade it. And I don't remember what they, what do they call that connection cable? It's like some, some kind of like is, isn't this right? This, this, there's some kind of secret connection cable that it has um, that you turn it into some like, I don't know. I heard this on the podcast too. So this wasn't from the article, but there's some, there's some kind of special cable that you can use to, to wire two of these together if you want to, to make some kind of massive computing platform. Uh, anyway, that don't, I don't know that that's actually in that article, but again, that'd be like yeah. a really niche thing that probably most average Joes are not going to need to do. Yeah. Um, and I'd also note that, um, like, I mean, obviously at the $2,000 mark, it's, 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 it, it is a replacement for, uh, you know, probably the Mac Pro for a lot of, you know, pro, prosumer users. I guess that's probably a good way to describe, uh, both of us as, as prosumer users. And, um, uh, but at the same time, like, I, you know, I, I've had zero problem with my budget-priced Mac Mini M1, right? And I did go with the 16-gigabyte one. In fact, I, I paid uh, 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 notably more uh, to get that that 16 gigs of RAM. But I'm, my also understanding is that from a speed standpoint, um, it, it, the 8-gigabyte the the and 16-gigabyte are basically the same. So I considered if there was, a, a, a like, a Mac Mini Pro that maybe was in the $1,200 range, then I might have actually moved towards that at work. But the $2,000 level doesn't make as much sense to me. But, um, yeah, certainly interesting stuff. And then the last thing that happened yesterday, and then there's a kind of a second part of the story is there's also now something called a studio display. So we've got the studio or Mac studio, which is the Mac mini uh, uh, update. And then the, the studio display, which is a 27 inch screen with 5k resolution, an amazing 600 nits of brightness, which it's just a stunningly bright screen um, and over a billion colors. And interestingly enough, it has its own a 13 chip in it, which is a, is, is an iPhone chip, right? So they've integrated a, a processor into it. Um, so that it can offer advanced video and audio quality and also has a camera integrated into it and helps manage the camera to provide um, uh, some enhancement to the images there. And itself has three USB-C report, reports, a Thunderbolt port, and can connect to any any Mac. So um, I don't really get how that part works, but super interesting that... Um, that they're headed in that direction. So, uh, the, of course, the, the most interesting thing about this is that, uh, you know, Apple took a lot of criticism for their uh, previous uh, release of a monitor, which, uh, was one that, uh, um, the stand itself cost a thousand dollars. And I believe that, that we made fun of that pretty, pretty aggressively on, um, uh, uh, this podcast, but certainly an interesting, um, development that there is now this, this new display available. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, um, Wes, that, you know, a, a, a Mac mini or a Mac desktop or a laptop that you plug into a docking station directly into a monitor you know, is that much more enhanced with, uh, you know, a great display. So is the 5k 27 inch studio display of any temptation to you? No, it's not, not, not for now, but again, glad to see the, the good folks at Apple, uh, not neglecting that segment of the market, however yep. large it is. Now that said, the, uh, the, the other thing that's happened here, and this was reported by The Verge yesterday, is that the 27 inch iMac, which was kind of my, uh, uh, introduction to Mac desktops at work, uh, is now gone. There is no more, uh, uh, 27 inch iMac anymore. In fact, it kind of makes sense. Because the uh, the decently specced 
iMacs that have been available in the last couple of years did start around, you know, $3,000, $3,500. And so this is now the new iMac. Uh, there's been some indication that there might be an iMac Pro at some point to go along with the 24-inch uh, M1 iMac that uh, uh, it, it's been part of their strategy in, in the last year. But the 27-inch uh, iMac itself is now discontinued. So um, I know that's been an important part of, of, of my work life. In fact, my first two desktop computers going back 12 years ago uh, were the 27-inch um, iMac. So uh, interesting that they've gone um, ultimately in that direction. And, um, you know, super interesting um, uh, 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 event. And I do think it, you know, this idea of power performance, um, I feel like you know, they've delivered. Um, obviously, no M2 chip. That was a, a rumor uh, that was going around. Um uh, there were also some expectations that there might be an actual Pro-like machine that looks like the Mac Pro, which is kind of the mini mini uh, 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 a toaster or cheese grater, depending on how you want to describe it. Uh, it's not the, some, it wasn't the trash can, right? No, yeah, no, trash. yeah, no, no trash can, and then the uh, mini. Um, the the mini version of the old cheese grater Mac uh, yeah. is uh, 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 was not replaced, but I you know would guess that most pro users are uh, you know at least somewhat impressed with the notion of the Mac Studio. I remember um, anyway uh, an administrator that I that I worked with at university a number of years ago when the G that G five cheese grater you know got out and I mean. He was opening up PDF files for read-only access. I know it was like a little bit more than a little few more horses than he really needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, um, and I used a 2008 uh, Mac Pro at home for um, that was my main desktop for eight years, and you know I kept updating it. In fact, it's still running in my house as a kind of well a because that's back when you know crank it, pull, pull it open, and, and yeah. put all the stuff in the PCI slots and all that. Yeah. And that those kind of days just about seem to be behind us. But, yep. Yeah. Now, I did put another article in here that I thought was pretty interesting that I read this morning. This is from The Verge. Uh, John Porter talks about how Apple's new strategy seems to be that it's not to tell users what they want. It's to give users what they want. And uh, this goes back to last year's release of the uh, two new pro-level Mac laptops, which brought back a lot of the ports because a lot of people were pretty dissatisfied with the USB-C world. Um, and so uh, the, the two pro laptops, the 14 and 16 inch laptops released last year, bring back that kind of port strategy and uh, the Mac mini, um, uh, which is this Mac studio itself is a, a, a kind of a throw back to more user friendly pieces. Now that said, you know, uh, they're still, I mean, they're still doing it the Apple way, right? Like they, they did put a couple of USB uh, a ports on here, but this is dominated by Thunderbolt and uh, uh, USB-C ports, which, you know, I, I, I like USB-C. A lot of people don't uh, and feel like it's still kind of a confusing uh, standard, which it is to some extent. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think Apple has made a lot of good changes in the last couple of years and, and in fact, has earned my business back because of it. Um, but it does seem like they're headed more towards uh, this notion of being a little more consumer driven and less kind of preachy to, to, to even its most ardent fans. Interesting. So I have one other kind of piece of, um, uh, Mac, uh, news, or actually should say it's Apple news. There's an article we didn't get to last week. Um, and, and since we kind of reported on some of this stuff, I wanted to, to talk a little more about this, which is we've talked a lot about air tags, um, on, on the show and that, you know, people are coming up with a lot of, of kind of creepy ways to use air tags. And, um, there was an article from Ben Lovejoy, nine to five Mac on February 23rd. It talked about how honestly, like there's been a lot of FUD fear, uncertainty, doubt about air tags in the national news media. We shared that New York times article a few weeks ago where a woman uh, purposely used uh, air tags to track her husband along with other tracking devices and, um, you know, uh, what he talks about is that, um, 
um, it's probably doing more good than harm to highlight the AirTag situation because a lot of tech has become very surveillancey, very creepy in its, its nature, but it wasn't getting the kind of uh, press that had been received um, by uh, the AirTag. And what it's effectively done is highlighted how technology has become somewhat dangerous. And there's all sorts of scenarios where this could be the case, including uh, domestic violence situations. But, um, you know, uh, Mr. Lovejoy talks about both how the AirTag is kind of a dumb choice as a tractor with anyone with uh, malevolent intent because uh, uh, it, it just isn't the right platform for that. And there are way creepier and way less known technologies, including things you can buy on, on Amazon for relatively inexpensively that are GPS trackers that are meant to be a little more um, a secret in the way they do things and also to provide some of the protections built into AirTags that it's important that we talk about. And I just want to kind of write a little bit of a counterbalance. I find some of the uses of AirTags creepy too, but Apple is treating this pretty well and then they keep building additional protections into AirTags, um, but also they are... Uh, 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 attempting as much as possible to both give law enforcement information about AirTags, but try to keep the functionality, the advanced functionality, which is why I like these platforms, uh, you know, kind of in place. Yeah, uh, as I was researching different kinds of, um, you know, parent control platforms and things, this is one of the things that you run into is that there's a lot of util of misutilization of these kinds of apps and services to folks that want to, um, you know, coercively uh, track and uh, stalk people. And so, unfortunately, yeah, the technologies are are misused. But I think the article is well written, and it is good to highlight those <coughs> misuses of technology and to be aware of that. If you happen to think yourself that you <coughs> have, for instance, a compromised phone that someone um, is 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 tracking you, you know, because they can, they can do all kinds of things. They can activate the camera. They can activate the microphone. They can see exactly where you are, you know, with GPS coordinates. There's all these different things. Um, it is a good idea, even if you're not, to to wipe your phone periodically and um you know on an annual basis or or whatever but get with somebody who can help you do that make sure your phone's backed up and then go ahead and do the wipe um some of those things do um require like a jailbreak uh or they have in the past it's not something like that that the app store uh, um always allows but again some of these are quote unquote parental controls um which people can put put on those phones so anyway it's a it's a complex world out, world out there but i'm glad for some of this to be amplified and again i was eyeing the air tags i i just was like in best buy maybe week last weekend or something it's it's always a dangerous thing and i actually did call my wife to say honey could i get this and she's like no you can't <laughs> so it was like well it's like a clock with a smart speaker that was like 20 bucks or something but i was eyeing the air tags because I, what is it like four for 60 i don't know 100 bucks yeah. or something yeah and and i do think again you've encouraged me to take a look at that and think about the use of that again and i was traveling so i i didn't check a bag i, I just carried it on but anyway powerful technology worth checking out and as we see with a lot of cases you know sometimes the if it bleeds it leads there's going to be sensationalist kinds of headlines yes these things can be abused but there's also a lot of other technologies that fall into that category and it's good that those things are being amplified if it raises awareness among more people well and one thing i would note is that i have not traveled with one yet i can't wait to because i hear they're really fun to throw on your check baggage because you can get a sense of where your check bag is at you can also confirm it's on your flight etc cetera, etc cetera, right there's lots of uh, interesting ways to use them there but it has been kind of a game changer you have to have one of the newer iphones to do this but the precise tracking that's available to where you can literally, you know, have it uh, uh, tell you which direction it's in and how many feet it is away from you. Um, and and where I use that is that um, uh, my wife and I moved back to, to an Apple TV because uh, um, our, AML, our Amazon um, uh, 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 Amazon box, and I think we were using one of the better 
um, Amazon Fire TV boxes uh, was just lagging for some reason. It was the newest one available. I had reset it a couple of times, but it was just lagging. And we weren't entirely sure why if it was our TV or our internet connection. But we moved back to, uh, we had an Apple TV 4K, the first generation Apple TV 4K, which we picked up for free actually on a, on a, um, a streaming service uh, um, uh, uh, special deal. <coughs> But I hated the remote control. Um, it, <clears throat> I don't like the Apple uh, remotes anyways because I think they're thin and not very great. But we bought the newer control for it was relatively inexpensively that it's got a lot better of a, a of an interface and doesn't have the trackpad on it, which I always thought that remote was was terrible and I didn't like using it at all. But I picked up a silicone case for it that had a little AirTag holder in it, so. Um, now, when the, the remote gets lost, which it does, couch cushions do uh, 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 eat uh, remote controls. They are one of the predators for remote controls in nature. So um, we uh, lose our remote quite a bit. But I put the AirTag on there. I can literally say, hey, where, where's my remote? And it will guide me to you know which couch cushion ate the remote. It's pretty great. And so, and it also has the features available too, where, uh, I've got one of my keys. I've got one in my, um, Dybex supply bags because I'm an insulin dependent diabetic. Um, uh, I've also have one in my uh, everyday carry bag. Um, and if I leave it behind at work, for example, it tells me you left something behind. Um, or it tells me where I last saw it. That's been great for my keys, which I've utilized a couple of times as well. And, you know, those little features are, are, are pretty great. Sounds good. Well, we are 42 minutes into the show and we have talked Apple. So I'm glad we did that. And this is just, you know, this is what you get, folks. When there's an Apple uh, event, you're going to you're going to hear about the Apple stuff here on our show. So, yep. All, all right. All right. Well, I would like to take us to actually let's let's go down to some Ukraine news. And I've got an update to the article I originally put in here, but I uh Dropped an article from the New York Times on March 4th. Several Western news organizations suspend operations in Russia. Uh, this is a Michael uh, Grinbaum, John Koblen, and Tiffany uh, Sow um, article. I'm pronouncing those names right. And so uh, this is a few days ago. Uh, Bloomberg News, BBC, um, CNN International had had decided that um, they were going to, at that point, stop their operations in Russia because of announcements that Vladimir Putin made um, about some some severe penalties for <clears throat> folks who are basically going to cross the official line of what they should and shouldn't say. Um, I've got a new article, or actually, this is a this is a tweet. Uh, from Clifford Levy, and this is from yesterday on March the 8th. Uh, it says, as a former Moscow bureau chief for New York Times, I'm saddened to report that we are pulling our journalists from Russia. Here's a statement from Emmy Slackman, assistant managing editor to the company. And Vladimir Putin has made it a, a, a crime punishable by up to 15 years in prison for calling Russia's invasion of the Ukraine a war um, and in addition to doing other kinds of things. And so this is effectively killing independent journalism in Russia. And I think I mentioned the, it used to be called war college. Now it's called angry planet. They have a, a fantastic episode. They published about a week ago about Vladimir Putin by an author that's written a lot about him. And it just really seems like he's just gone over the edge Um of course, it's unfortunate for us not to have journalists, you know, in in Russia to be able to report on things and, and give a, a perspective. I don't did I include the Netflix? I don't think I put this one in here, but like Netflix uh, actually has pulled out of Russia. There's a whole bunch of Western companies. I don't know where I, I must not have gotten that article. But, you know, Apple's not selling in, in Russia anymore. Um, Starbucks, Netflix, McDonald's. Yes, Netflix was going to have to air the the state channels, mul you know, multiple uh, propaganda channels, and they just said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. But man, it is. This is a pretty stunning. Um, it has been a stunning unifier of the West of NATO 
in terms of the sanctions and things like that that we've seen. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to get completely out of the realm of technology, just talking about the politics of it. But from the aspect of journalism, freedom of speech, expression, we talk about these things with the tech correction and, and technology. We also have talked on the show, you know, we've been going since 2015, right, Jason? Isn't that crazy? Um, we talk about how, you know, we have a global internet, yet norms and laws uh, vary by by uh by nation and sometimes that's challenging you know what is going to be accessible in this location and our company's going to have to do different things because they're here in Saudi Arabia or they're here in in China or or whatever and so um this is probably the most extreme case i think i've read about ever of a government passing such incredibly draconian anti expression you know anti speech laws um, that it's actually caused companies to not only suspend operations, which is what that first article talked about from the fourth, but from yesterday, you know, actually pulling their, their journalists out entirely. So this is an important thing to share and talk about. Um, shout out to you, Jason, for last week's, um, I know it's not online yet, but it will be soon, uh, article that you have with the tweet that, that showed the out of context pictures. Actually, I taught two classes in uh, Monday when I was in uh, Charlotte. And uh, for the high school class, I used that as kind of my wonder link. We were doing a lesson on images and talking about, I showed it without context. What is this, you know, and talking about it and then say, well, without, without context. And it also just kind of shows how us, we as individuals are really incapable of fully filtering and vetting the, the, the speed of the content, especially in a conflict zone, a war zone, things like that that are happening. So Anyway, uh, both of those articles were um, eye-opening and troubling, and hopefully we're going to see some kind of resolution to this conflict, um, which is not existential, um, which, I mean, yeah, but who knows? Nobody knows what what's going to happen next. So any thoughts about those? Well, I mean, I... Uh... You know, no time like a crisis, I think, to kind of learn broader lessons. But um, I will tell you, I've scrutinized uh, my own personal diet of information. I do read a lot of informal or maybe social-based news sources. Reddit's a really good example of this. Uh, it's interesting to me that 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 sites like Reddit, and this is also true, true of Twitter as well, people seem to be a little more proactive about calling out poorly sourced, unsourced, or missourced information that I, I found that to be kind of interesting. Um, it's for me, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a COVID uh, uh, fascination because I do think that a lot of people that were well-meaning and not trying to spread misinformation, um, you know, would sometimes spread something uh, uh, not by accident, but maybe thoughtlessly. And people have been pretty good about, about asking for additional sources and that sort of thing. But, you know, like we've talked about probably a thousand times on this podcast, like now's a pretty good time if you haven't done already to provide an opportunity for um um uh, uh uh to 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 talk with your students about this and if you're talking about the war in your classes which i hope you do it's especially true if you're a social studies teacher you know if someone's citing something that's pretty extraordinary um make them cite their sources right or you know where did you get that information from or you know if they if they if you hear online make them bring in an article and if it's an article that's poorly sourced or unsourced that's a good opportunity to talk about that's not not true but that also means that you want to start getting verification information and make sure that that's that's thoughtfully presented Absolutely. The SIF framework is great for that, for looking at the sources and, and trying to say stop and, and use your platforms, right? We're using Google Classroom in our classes and we've got a feed that students can post to and I'll encourage them to do that. Can you post that link, share that link, um, you know, rather than like, you know, I found it online. I, you know, CNN said this or, or even if they don't say that, a new, you know, a news source. Um, said it. I'm going to go ahead and just pick up these other two. We got two more Ukraine articles. This one just blew my mind. Again, this is a few days ago. This was on the 4th of March from Ars Technica. Elon Musk, high probability of Russian attacks on Starlink in the Ukraine. What blows my mind is, you know, internet infrastructure was and still is being targeted by the Russians in the Ukraine. And so the, um, one of the, was it a prime minister Ukraine Vice Prime Minister Mikhailo Fedorov asked 
Musk to activate Starlink in Ukraine shortly after the invasion disrupted internet service. Musk responded in the affirmative two days later. Petrov tweeted a photo of a truck full of newly arrived Starlink terminals. So talk about, you know, a crazy time where a private company and an individual, you know, has created this global internet connectivity service and is able to put satellite um, receivers, you know, into the country and who knows how far dispersed and things, but it is pretty amazing. And, and I think in this context, positive, you know, that it's not just, we have to rely on the landlines. We got to rely on, you know, what the big telcos or the, or the, or the, um, you know, more vulnerable uh, systems are, are going to, they're going to be the only way that we can get internet and have connectivity. Um, there's something else I'll mention to this related to Starlink. And I don't have this article now. I'll see if I can drop it in. But, you know, the International Space Station, we've been up for 20 years with Russians, uh, cos Russian cosmonauts and, and U.S. astronauts. There was a really good article I just read um, in the last two days. We've had a lot of this banter back and forth between um, the leader of the Russian Space Agency and wondering, you know, what is going to happen um, they've, we've had, you know, embargoes. We're not going to be able to buy any more rockets from Russia, you know, Europe. And it's just, it's complicated. Um, we are going to have to come up. NASA is going to have to come up with a different, uh, capability to, to maintain the altitude of the space station. If the Russians would actually leave in their modules, they have the ability to, to maintain altitude, uh, with the thrusters and all that kind of stuff. Um, we are, we, we have like 15 more engines that we buy for our Atlas rockets uh, from Russia, but Amazon, this is my connection to Starlink has like eight of these diff of these launches uh, contracted. And they were talking about how they're going to get what, what they would do if, if Russia would pull out and we were going to have to basically put some vehicles up on the station uh, that have a capability of, of keeping it aloft and not losing its, its orbit. And so anyway, it's just not only Elon Musk has got his satellites up there, but Jeff Bezos and Amazon is in the process because eight of these next, whatever, 15 Atlas launches or something like that, which we've already bought the Russian engines for, um, are all contracted for Amazon for their network of, of satellites. And so um, it's a, uh, it's just incredible. And when we think about the future of work and our students and how we're preparing them, I mean, the fact that we've got, I remember when one of my classmates got deployed um, actually to a part of Africa and he was responsible for running drones that were literally blowing up pirates in the Indian Ocean. And he had a sat phone and I was like, wow, that's just so amazing to think you had this phone. But I mean, that was a super expensive phone, pretty rare. I mean, those have been used in the desert and Gulf War and all. I'm sure the military has used them in all different kinds of places, but it was kind of a rare thing. But to think about civilians, you know, being able to have that kind of capability it, and it can also open up doors for us to think about, you know, hey, maybe you have a trailer, you're going to travel, you're going to be on the road. You have a job that allows you to connect on the Internet and do your job. Now you can pretty much live almost anywhere on the planet because you're going to be able to have high speed satellite connected Internet connectivity. But this was an article talking about the Ukraine, and it just was kind of mind blowing to think about that kind of reality and people have talked about this being the first information war that's not exactly true but the level to which there is an information war going on um is pretty stunning so i thought that was a an exceptional article and then just to round it out the last one uh this was on march 6th again from ars technica can you tell i like ars technica <laughs> um, the i like the verge yeah, that's right. The war in Ukraine is keeping Chinese social media censors busy. And it says that posts that glorify war and those that criticize Russia are getting quietly deleted. And again, um, the ability of uh, governments to censor and try and limit and control what it is that their population is able to access. Uh, certainly, it's not complete. Um, but this is also very interesting from a political standpoint, you know, in terms of how is this all going to play out for how supportive China is going to be for Russia. Um, but we certainly see the very, very different philosophies about information and freedom of access and those kinds of things, not only in Russia, but China as well. Um, so anyway, it's uh, 
this is important stuff to track. It's important stuff to talk about. Uh, I think it's also important to assure students uh, who, you know, might have heard we're going to, you know, this is a world war. We're going to have a world war. I mean, when we don't know what is going to happen, uh, but there's some really extraordinary things happening. I mean, yesterday, Poland said they're giving all their, they're ready to send all their MiG 29s to, to the Ukraine. And they're going to go fly them up to Germany or they were offering to do that. And anyway, it's just, hopefully this thing can, can find a peaceful resolution and not escalate. Um, but there's all kinds of ways that technology is intersecting with this. And it also highlights how warfighters today, whether you wear a uniform or you work for the Department of State or whoever you are, um, folks that are involved in these conflicts and, and advocating for nations and for different groups, the role of technology has never been bigger and more important to understand how information works, how social media works, yep. and to uh, be able to leverage it effectively. And so uh, it's just simply not adequate for us to provide students with a traditional education that is mainly text-based and is not focused on these kinds of communication technologies and these kinds of, of dynamics. And so these, um, you know, but it's, it's, it is scary and it is, Unfortunate that there is so much suffering that's happening and you know, this is going to be going on for for a while. So I don't think any of us are going to be traveling to uh, that part of the world uh, as a tourist in quite a while. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Okay, those are all the Ukraine links. We covered two topics. We covered Apple. We covered the Ukraine. And, uh, you know. We've got five minutes left if we're going to do an hour show. So yeah, we well, go? let's uh, let's kind of do some Google quick hits here, um, and I'm I'm just going to mention a couple of these. Uh, the first one is nine to five. Google reported this morning that Google is starting to try to push a grand vision where it's going to become more competitive in 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 uh, tablets, and uh, they think that tablets are going to uh, 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 somehow exceed laptop sales and they are, are, are trying to make moves to make them more competitive in the tablet space. And one of the examples of this is that they're trying to get app developers, and this is both through Android development um, and also through encouragement, to think about tablet-first design and not cell phone-first design. And I have to say that, I mean, I've owned a couple of, of, of Android tablets. Um, I think I probably have one in the archive right now uh, that I haven't sold off, and it's... Uh, as I said, yeah, it's a um, it's a Samsung uh, tablet. It's pretty good. I mean, it's not it's it's not uh, terrible, but it's you know it it's just not as compelling as a platform as the iPad, and um, it feels sluggish and the battery life's terrible. Um, and uh, there is a way to get a longer battery life on it, but Samsung forces you to crank down the speed of the tablet so much that it might as well be a low-end tablet, and I've had much more luck in, in the tablet world actually utilizing um, very cheap Amazon Fire tablets, sideloading the Google Play Store on there, and it becomes a de facto tablet, but that, you know, on sale, you can get those sometimes for well under $100, and whereas these, these Samsung tablets, I think mine was a Black Friday purchase, but it's just never been that compelling of of a um, of a, a environment for me, and in fact, um, I have... Uh, uh, owned at one time or another a couple of Chrome OS tablets, and that's always been a much more compelling device for me because the the browsing experience is so much better on Chrome OS than it is on Android tablets. The thing I would also note that from a school standpoint, that there was a lot of effort on Google's part, this was eight years ago-ish, to try to add management features and school-friendly uh, Android tablets to the Google Play administrative interface um, on um, uh, uh, on Google Apps accounts for schools, and it it, it never really took off. Um, I did see a couple of conference presentations. I want to say that I saw one at NCCE from a couple of schools that I think um, were uh, working with Google to try to roll out the experience. It looked like it was with thoughtful and easy to manage, which is part of Google shtick in this arena. But it's interesting to see them go in this direction. But you know, I guess for me, the thing I would say is that um, uh, I still think the tablet's not a laptop replacement um, in, in a thousand ways. Like, I even know some folks that are huge iPad aficionados uh, uh, that would, you know, wouldn't consider the uh, it to be a laptop replacement. 
And, I, you know, I'm sure Google can do a better job with tablets than they do now in, in the Android arena. I'm just not entirely certain that it, it's going to make any real difference uh, for most consumers. It's interesting we say Google says because there's this, you know, spokesperson for, for Google. Um, and who is it? It says Google discussed. Okay, so it's Google's current CTO of tablets, Rich Miner. I mean, yeah, he is the CTO of tablets. I just I haven't been impressed with a with a with an Android tablet yet. Um, yeah. I do own one. Uh, it's probably like six years old, or I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's got to be older than that because I think it was like I don't know. It might have been before I went to Cassidy um, when I when I got it. So I probably should probably throw it away. But um, at least I mean I'm I'm more impressed with the touchscreen on the Dell 11 Chromebooks that we bought this last yeah. year. Uh, the stylus is is actually really really usable and and good i mean i'm gonna say it's good um but it's weird to hear him talk about this because it <clears throat> i was just talking to our our it manager and it, it's still fairly it's not a, as as easy a process as it probably should be in terms of apps the way the play store works the way that things aren't always you know compatible and again this is with chrome you know web apps it's it's just uh it's it's, it's kind of convoluted so I would be shocked if this article, if this, you know, proposal comes to pass. I mean, Google is dominant in, in, in Chrome OS and in the Chromebook. Yeah. Um, like I said, the touch interfaces, I think there are getting better. Um, but I certainly don't see tablets eclipsing that market. And no. I definitely don't see that happening in schools because, hey, we are very keyboard dominated and, I don't think that's going to be changing anytime soon. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've seen students try to do things like, you know, do an online class on their phone. And when it's really passive information, that works just fine. But the bottom line is, is that if you're creating or writing um, or uh, processing information at all, I just don't think the, a touch face or touch screen interface is, is really going to do that for you. So, um, there's a new Gmail view design. Uh, I'm on the fast ring for my work, uh, 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 Google install and I, we, we have the fast ring turned on. Um, it's, we only have faculty and staff on, on our Google domain. It's a nice interface. The only comment I was going to make is that I know how big of a pain it is when they do roll out new interfaces like that, because if you have faculty that really need to be trained on, on that, it's a real pain if you've put together good training materials and suddenly the screen looks different, right? So, um, and, and, you know, your power users probably like it. I like the new interface. It seems nice. It's, it's, it seems clean and, and, and functional. But for those of you that I know are out there, they're having to, you know, release new training materials every time there's a new Gmail interface. Um, my sympathies go to you, uh, brothers and sisters in IT. Hey, the good thing can be this can result in a decision to not print. I've heard stories <laughs> of folks who, you know, were doing a workshop and had literally made all these handouts, and the next day the UI was completely different for, you know, that Google rolled out. So, um, yeah, not, not necessarily needing to print. Well, Jason, I have some some sad news. We are just over the top of the hour on our time. We did start at a bizarre time, so who knows? I mean, this is our own podcast. We can go as late as we want. So if you'd like to go ahead and cover a few more articles, that is absolutely fine, but we probably should consider after uh, another few do Geek of the Weekend. I'm going to do one. Okay, um, go for it. Kevin Toffel at About Chromebooks reported on March 3rd an interesting thing, which is you can now disable automatic Chrome OS updates as a consumer user. You can already pause updates as a, uh, uh, an administrator of a Google domain and school-owned Chromebooks. Um, uh, uh, and Kevin Toffel has been advocating for this for, for some time. Um, but the thing I would mention is that it's only really useful Honestly, if you're someone that uh, ahead of time knows that a, an update is bad for your machine or, or borks it, uh, otherwise, I think that it's a real advantage that, that Chrome updates itself. But that's now available according to about Chromebooks on March 3rd. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. You've had the breakdown of the Apple news, a little Ukraine news, and a little Google news. Can you tell that we like to talk about this stuff? Yeah, ain't that the truth? Well, Wes, right. uh, go ahead and share your Geek of the Week, sir. Okay, so my Geek of the Week is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm only going to do one. Hey, revolutionary. Um, mine is the Democracy Report 2022. I'd never heard of this before. I've actually got a link to a tweet 
that the VDIM Institute shared um, back on March 4th. And they shared a graph and then a link to this report as a PDF. Their tweet says governments increasingly use misinformation to shape domestic and international opinion. The use of misinformation for both domestic and international audiences is most frequent in dun, 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 Malta, the UK and the USA in 2021. Um, so it's very interesting. They've got it's a liberal democracy index. It's tons of data, graphs and statistics. And their goal is really to take a look at. Uh, democracy and the conditions that that lead to more authentic, I guess, and transparent democracy. Um, and then in this case, they've got a piece of the article that takes a look at misinformation and disinformation. So that was a new source for me, a uh, new report. I thought it looked like it was worth checking out. What is your Geek of the Week, sir? Well, this is a resource that I was looking at. I don't think I've shared in the past. Um, if you are a Chromebook hacker, which I've kind of turned myself into um, in, in the past uh, uh, several uh, uh, months as I, you know, I'm updating older Chromebooks that are past their expiration date and installing things like uh, Chrome OS Flex, there's a wonderful website called mrchromebox.tech, which uh, a gentleman there has a lot of firmware available if you want to take either new or older Chromebooks and install Windows on it, install Linux on it. Uh, he also has instructions on how to install some uh, um, a desktop, uh, I'm sorry, uh, TV top boxes. Uh, if you have an old Chromebox, for example, he has instructions and firmware you can download to do that. So obviously huge nerd alert, but uh, mrchromebox.tech. Uh, Dr. Fryer, where can people find you on the internet? Just go to westfryer.com, but I'm on the Twitters at WFryer, and that is the fastest way generally to reach me with any kind of question or comment. And we would, of course, love to hear any feedback that you have for tonight's show or any other shows on the EdTech Situation Room. Excellent. And I'm on Twitter at TechSavvyTeach, where I tweet about distance learning, uh, tech stuff, and then probably more nerdy stuff than, than I care to admit here. But this here <laughs> isn't our social media uh, presence. It is the EdTech Situation Room. This is our once-week podcast on Wednesday nights, usually at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central Time, sometime in the middle of the night UTC. Maybe a different time starting this fall, since uh, Dr. Fryer will be in a different time zone. But uh, we'll have to take a look at... at at, uh, what that schedule looks like a little bit down the road. Right. We would love it if you check us out live. Uh, we broadcast via YouTube uh, and Facebook. We put links out over Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to join us there, join our chat room or, or give us feedback live on the show. If that's not of interest to you, you can go anywhere, find our podcast or aggregated. Uh, you can go to our website, edtechsr.com, um, or Facebook and, and YouTube are places where they will always be archived. Um, we hope to see you in a future episode of EdTechSR. If not, download us. We, you won't regret it. Uh, good night uh, from our, our wonderful uh, podcast staff. We hope to see you next time in the Edtech Situation Room. Good night. And we'll get that podcast staff working this week, man. <laughs> they're, they're slackers. <laughs>